David Shanahan. From Castle Island, Ireland. Drives Hagens back inside his own 20. Hagens laying up the right side. Hagens across midfield. Still running down the sideline. Hagens, and he goes all the way to the end zone. Bates, the punt was 52 yards from Shanahan. The return was better. 81 yards to the end zone, Hagens. Leonard looking left. To the front left corner. Eight seconds on the game clock. And it's a one-point game. Touchdown, Duke. Can we get some music? Yeah! We are halfway done with the 2022 season, and unfortunately, entering the second half of the season after a loss. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, producer Justin Sykes, and a very special guest, one Mr. Jordan Mann of the Big J and Little J podcast. Josh decided it'd be a good idea, fellas, to go to Disney World during Rivalry Week. What in the world? But be before we get into that topic, we're going to hear first from Coach Elko, his thoughts right after the unfortunate loss to Georgia Tech in overtime, 23-20. Again, Coach Elko, postgame after the loss. Yeah, uh, obviously a hard-fought football game. Uh, credit to Georgia Tech. You know, they certainly played hard and made enough plays to win the football game. And, um, you know, I told our guys in the locker room, you know, I'm proud of our fight. I'm proud of our resiliency. I, I thought, you know, this program showed again that we will battle both full full quarters and into overtime if needed. But, you know, the reality is, is for three and a half quarters, we just didn't make enough plays to win a game on the road in the ACC. You know, and that's really what it comes down to. We've got to execute better. Uh, we've got to be able to run the football a little bit better. We've got to be able to make some more plays on defense and, and not give up so many uncontested throws. Um, you know, and those are things that we as a staff, we got to get corrected you know we got to get the messaging right and then we've got to get our players to execute them better and you know so we'll go back to work on monday and, and try to become a better football team and again that was coach elko with his comments right after the heartbreaking 23 20 loss to georgia tech in atlanta in overtime and again fellas we're going to discuss this dive in deep get rid of it put it behind us and look ahead to rivalry week jordan since you are our guest this week and again we thank you for coming on in josh's place we'll start with you your initial thoughts coming out of the georgia tech game as we enter into the unc game well two thoughts uh, first half thoughts frustration second half proud i mean that team was resilient uh haven't seen a duke team really fight back like that in at least a couple years i mean that was elko said it in his presser uh just about they shot themselves in the foot basically all for first three quarters. And then it just didn't seem like Duke's day. And they just were resilient and we're not going to go down with the fight. And Leonard showed heart that last drive to get us a touchdown. He got hit and looked like he got hurt on that late hit or uh, roughing the passer penalty led Duke down and forced overtime. And unfortunately, just like 
I don't think it was offense pass interference that really killed the drive and killed Duke's chances to win the game. But Duke could have come out with a win. But regardless, team fought back, showed heart, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the boys put up uh, against UNC this week. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it now against Kansas and against Georgia Tech and both our losses. The resiliency, like Jordan said, and the fight in this team. And you love to see it because last year this time, if we're being honest, we lose both those games by double digits. And it's, it's not, and it wouldn't be pretty. But this team, they have the fight of their coach. Coach Elko has that fight. And this team has that, showing it on the field. Uh, as far as the penalty is concerned, Dad didn't lose a game for us. It was three quarters of of not so great football. And then one quarter of while we came back, got it to overtime. I know uh, some people were questioning whether uh, Coach Elko should go for two on that possession, that last possession, and not go for OT. But the right thing to do is to go for OT there. And he did the right thing. Now me, if I'm playing Madden, I'm going for two. <laughs> you know, I don't have to deal with the angry fans or the angry uh, or the media questioning every, my every move. So, but Coach Elko there, he did the right thing. You play for OT. And they, they held Georgia Tech to a field goal and had a chance. That's all you can really ask for. So would Twitter Jamie be coming out in the uh, post-game media scrum if you were playing Madden 23 and didn't win? <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Now, oh, go ahead, bro. No, go ahead, Jordan. I was just going to go off of Jamie's thing because I saw that too about people saying go for two. I just think Duke was gassed. I, I legit think the offensive line was gassed. Riley was not catching his breath. And I really think – I don't even know if Duke had timeouts with RSN, Bally Sports. You never know what's really happening in a, in a football game. It said Duke had one timeout, and then when they went to kick the extra point, they had zero timeouts. So I don't know if Duke had a timeout or not. But if they didn't, I understand the extra point to go win in overtime. Whoever the producer was for that game was was legitimately drunk because the first half there was no yellow first down line. I was watching the game with a buddy of mine who's a Georgia Tech alum. We had no idea what down it was. We had no idea how much yards the team had to go to get a first down. It was bad. And every time a touchdown would occur, you'd see field goal where it should say touchdown. So it, it was just a travesty. And unfortunately, we're going to have to go through that again in two weeks for the Miami game. Yeah, and any, any big play that had open field us as fans could not see it because they had the camera lens zoomed in like it was honey, I shrunk the kids and they were trying to find the kids in the little grass with Samir Hagan's punt return touchdown. You couldn't see who was in front of them because the camera was just on 85 on the back. I need to see the whole <laughs> field before I get too excited. So is, I was, I was watching on my phone on the beach. So I know, I know. Quick break, I, I don't know if I should brag about that, <laughs> but Bally Sports is like just absolutely just terrible to follow, especially if you're trying to watch it on your phone. This has become the Bash Bally's episode, apparently. But Scott, in all seriousness, Scott, you actually were at Coach Elko's presser today. I know we listened to his thoughts and comments right after the game. Was there anything he said today uh, enlightening as far as the game with Georgia Tech? Uh, he just said for three quarters, you know, didn't play our best football. And then in the fourth quarter, we played great football. But at the end of the day, Georgia Tech played better. And that's why they got the win. He also referenced the fact that, you know, we, we kind of touched it, that in his 23 years, he's never seen that play called offensive pass interference. But 
that's not the reason Duke lost the football game. So, I mean, I, I'm emotional. I was upset at the time. Folks, at the end of the day, they outgained us. They outplayed us. It stinks. It stung. It hurt. But today's a new day. Push that behind us. It's time to look down the road eight miles at Chapel Hill College and get ready for rivalry week. Now, there's some things in the Georgia Tech game. To me, we had some players step up that had to. They're not – could, you know, we had to go down the line with guys. We started the second half. We had Tony Davis out there. We had uh, Nick Morris out there playing. Guys that just have not gotten playing time, as much playing time. And then towards the end, you know, we're we're running around there, and I'm trying to figure out who some of the jerseys are because there's a couple guys I've never seen out there on the field. But that just uh, goes back to everything we've stood so far this season. And what Coach Elko, and this is one of the big things he mentioned, was the next man up mentality. You have to be ready when your number is called. And I'll give that for Duke right now. I mean, it like I said, it stunk we lost. But seeing these guys step up, some of these guys have not touched the field all season. And they're out there in the fourth quarter in a big opportunity game, playing their butts off. And that's all we can ask for. I mean, we did not give ourselves an opp- the opportunities we needed. But we still had a chance. You know, it is what it is. And it's good to see that um, one of the other things that Coach Elko mentioned today, um, talking about Mo McIntyre, Maurice McIntyre is probably gone for, is gone for the season with a knee injury. He has surgery on Thursday. Um, he did mention that Anthony Nelson and Trey Freeman would not be back this Saturday but everybody else should be ready to go. That's good. And he mentioned the fact that Dorian played Saturday. He came back and was playing. And I think he he may have been ailing a little bit, and you could kind of see that on some of the plays. Uh, he mentioned that uh, Coleman should be back. Jordan Waters should be back. Jalen Calhoun should be back. So, you know, if we're going to go play Carolina – that's what we want. We want to have as many weapons in our arsenal as we can. So, you know, it's over. I hate it. Next year we'll get them, I promise you. And and Duke fans, and we've heard some stories today of Duke fans complaining, I believe, to the ACC officials or the ACC office. Let's be real. If they didn't turn over that Miami game back in 15 when the knee was down, they're not going to overturn a pass interference offensively and give Duke the the ball because it was a hearsay. Well, even if they do overturn it, it's just going to be an apology. We're yeah. sorry. Next game. Exactly. And, and that's what we've come to realize. You know, mistakes happen. It is what it is. And we, we have to move on. But I, I think for us, we dodged a big bullet with Riley Leonard because that hit he took, the roughing the passer, he was grimacing a lot. Luckily, it was his non-throwing shoulder. But based off what Scott said, it appears as though Riley's good to go this week, which is great because we are going to need – as many weapons as possible to go up against this UNC team. But before we get to UNC, just some things that uh, I found interesting. I think this was the first game we lost the turnover battle, fellas, this season. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, one, zero. one to zero, but still six games in. And that was the first game. I mean, last year we would have lost the turnover battle game one, two, three, four, five, and six. I don't know how much this plays into our performance, 
but I keep looking at third down efficiency. We were only six of 17. And I know in the past, I believe I've asked Coach Delco about it. You know, it's all hearsay. We were going for fourth. We were doing this. But to me, third down efficiency, if we keep gaining first downs on that third down, then we're keeping the defense off the field. Our offense is continuing to run. It was just a lot of things that did not fall into our favor. And I said this the week before, this is not the same Georgia Tech team that entered the season that we were expecting to play. And we've seen it before. Teams have gone through this. They make changes at coaching or or the head coach. And then all of a sudden they have this momentum that just comes up. See Ted Roof in 03. I'll say it again. He won two out of the last three games of the 03 season. That got the interim tag taken off. Could Brent Key be the head coach heading into next year? 100%. If he keeps winning, I don't see a reason why the new AD doesn't say, you're my guy. But all that to say, to Jamie's point, they clawed, they fought back. Five minutes left in the game. We thought the game was over. And here comes Duke, Samir Higgins with his uh, the punt return. And then Duke driving the ball down, scoring with eight seconds left. Don't like moral victories. Coaches even said they don't like moral victories. But still, had this been last year, the game would have been said and done. Thank you, drive home safely. But enough about Georgia Tech. It's the best time of the year for Duke football fans and for football fans around this area because it's rivalry week. It is Duke. It is Carolina. It is the biggest game of the season for the Blue Devils. I don't know if UNC fans would say the same thing. We don't care about them. It's Chapel Hill College coming into Durham, as Scott would say. And I was actually fortunate enough to sit down with Jones Angel. He's always a great guy to talk to when it comes to UNC football. And so here's my interview with Jones from earlier today. Joined now by Jones Angel, the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Jones will be on the call for the Tar Heels this Saturday night at Wallace Wade Stadium for the battle for the victory bell. Jones, thanks for coming back on the Section 17 podcast for Rivalry Week. Well, excited to be with you guys. And, you know, isn't it fun when, when I mean, it's always fun when these two teams get together, but when these two teams are having good years, you know, I mean, Carolina 5-1, and one, Duke's 4-2, and two, you know, both of them right there in the mix uh, at the top of the Coastal Division. And, I mean, it, like I said, it's a, they could be 0-10 and, and playing each other, and we've seen some years like that when oh, yeah. that's happened. But uh, it is, uh, it's always just adds to it when they're both having good years and makes it even uh, that much more exciting. And I know there's, it's at least at the time that we're talking, it's almost a sellout in Durham coming up on Saturday. So it'll be a terrific atmosphere and, and a great ball game and looking forward to it. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, there's been a lot of anticipation on both sides of the ball for UNC and Duke fans. Uh, and to your point, the game is almost sold out, if not sold out already. Probably by the time this episode drops tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning, it could very well be sold out. But going going back to the UNC team, how big of a win was it for UNC to head down and defeat Miami, a team that many considered to be the coastal favorite heading into the 2022 season? Yeah, sure. I mean, you guys know because you've seen the Blue Devils uh, take on Miami plenty as well in, in Coastal Division action, and and that's always a quality win. You know, Miami, regardless of the coach, regardless of the season, whatever's going on, Miami has some dudes, and, and they always do. They, they've got terrific skill position players. Tyler Van Dyke's been beat up a little bit as far as the year he's having, but he played great at the quarterback position for the Hurricanes against Carolina. Um, they always are good, I, I think, on the defensive front. So the, 
when you play Miami, it is going to be a talented team and you have to do things uh, well to have a chance to win that game. So anytime you can beat a talented quality team, which does have a terrific coaching staff, um, I, I think that's a positive. For Carolina specifically, to go on the road and do it, I think was particularly impactful. You know, uh, Brian, yeah, Carolina didn't win a game on the road last season. Um, in fact, coming into this year, if I'm not mistaken, it was seven in a row, either neutral site or away games that Carolina had lost. Wow. And so for the Tar Heels to go on the road, and they've won some road games this year. They, they won at Appalachian and they won at Georgia State. And those were both nice wins. But Miami is, and nothing negative about those teams, Miami's a better team than those two teams. And so to go on the road and to get a win against a talented in-division team um, was really impactful for this particular squad and so um happy locker room happy flight home of course and uh now they they turn the page to another difficult road test coming up on saturday and it's crazy to think that we're already halfway into yeah. the season i mean the 2022 season has come and it's going to be gone before we know it in a blink of an eye but speaking of being halfway through the season you know again you said it the tar heels come into durham saturday night with a five and one record what is the midseason report card for this team so far? Well, there would be very different report cards depending on what part of the team you're talking about. Uh, you know, Carolina's offense has been pretty darn good all season long. It, it hasn't been perfect every single game, um, but the Tar Heels can really move the football. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is, first of all, I think Phil Longo is a terrific coach. I mean, he's been Carolina's offensive coordinator since Mac Brown uh, returned to Chapel Hill, and, and Carolina's pretty consistently put out a, a high-powered offense. Um, a big reason for that is that the Tar Heels have had now two really, really good quarterbacks uh, as their starter during Coach Brown and, and Coach Longo's tenure, if you will, um, when Coach Brown returned. Of course, Sam Howell, a terrific uh, last couple of seasons. He's on uh, uh, the commanders now in the NFL and certainly hope that he gets a chance to, to show his talents there. And Sam was a record-setting quarterback and, and terrific uh, performance uh, from the very beginning of his career. And having said that, Brian, I'm not sure the guy they have now is not better. Um, Drake May has just been outstanding. Um, his physical gifts are apparent. I mean, he's 6'5". He's got the arm talent. He can run. Uh, he's all those things that that you would, if you were building a quarterback, he has them. But what's been really impressive about Drake is he's only a redshirt freshman, but I don't think you'd know that. Um, he really looks and performs at a higher level as far as the maturity of how he plays. He sees the field really well. He's just had an outstanding first half of the season. Now, I, I do think he looked a little bit like a redshirt freshman at times against Miami. The, their pressure got to him some. He threw some throws that I think he'd like to have back. He had two interceptions in that game, which was more than he had in the first five games combined. Um, but his numbers are outstanding. And, and just as Duke is experiencing this year, when you have a high-level quarterback that – gives you a chance to win every time you play and gives you a chance to score every time you snap the ball, that's an exciting feeling. And so uh, certainly Drake May has been a big part of it, but Carolina has taken a big step forward at its skill position. Last year was a real transition year for Carolina. I think at their skill positions, they had lost all those really good players from the year before and Javante Williams and Michael Carter and Deami Brown and Daz Newsom. And so some of those skill guys were just young and, and you started to see them grow up. You know, Josh Downs was great last year. He's been great again this year. 
Antoine Green back healthy is taking a big step forward. Carolina's tight ends are really good. They've run the ball okay, well enough. So A A to A plus on the offensive side. Right. Defensively has been a much different story. And of course, it it was highlighted, I think, early in the year with that fourth quarter against Appalachian that so many people saw when it ended up being a 63-61 Tar Heel win. But Appalachian scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. That's unheard of. And so that was really, really ugly. Um, I do think Carolina has taken some big steps forward defensively these last couple of weeks. Uh, they held Virginia Tech, who was not an explosive offense, but held him to 273 yards and 10 points, um, 99 yards rushing. And in the game against Miami, held the Hurricanes to fewer than 50 yards rushing. Tyler Van Dyke certainly uh, had a lot of yards, but only 24 points. And, and they forced a couple turnovers. They had a goal line stand. And Brian, I, I kind of think unless you're just Alabama or if you're Georgia, defense now is taking something away, getting some turnovers, and getting the stop when it counts. And, and that's what the Tar Heels did in that game against Miami. I, I think it's it's a, a unit that's improving, that's getting more confident. That If you just look at the stats, they aren't attractive. But I do think this defense is getting better. And with the quality of the Tar Heel offense, if that defense can just be pretty good, then Carolina has a chance uh, really to be successful in every game it plays. That you mentioned that because Coach Elko kind of said the same thing early in the season. He's not so much concerned about how many yards the team gives up. It's more so how many points are put on the board by yeah. the opposing team's offense. And that was something that we all found interesting because not many coaches say that this day and age. It's all about, oh, we gave up this many yards. we got to work on that. To Coach Elko's point, we have given up a lot of yards in some of our wins, but we haven't given up that many points in the same breadth of it. So very, very valid point that you make about, again, it, it, yeah, this defense is still giving up yardage, but the points they're giving up is getting lower and lower each game, it seems. Right. They don't determine wins and losses by who gained more yards. And, right. and so I, I do think it, in every game, unless it's super one-sided, which you see every now and then, but not very often anymore in college football because everybody's so similar, um, it, there's going to be those whatever number you want to pick, three, four, five moments in the game that end up being the big deciding points of the game. And for Carolina, for example, uh, defensively in this last game against Miami, they had a goal line stand where Miami had it first and goal at the three and, and ended up going for it on fourth down and didn't score. Uh, in the fourth quarter, Miami went for it on a fourth down, getting close to the red zone. They ran it on fourth and short. Probably, I think they had the first down, but Carolina knocked the ball out and recovered the fumble. Um, and of course, there was the interception to close the game. And so there's there's just those those handful of moments that are the key moments in the game. You never know when they're going to be until afterwards, of course, but it can you stand up at that time and make the play? I do also think, Brian, it is important to, to be good at something, mm -hmm. take something away. And that was part of the problem for Carolina through the first couple of games. Appalachian and Notre Dame are, are great examples. Carolina couldn't stop anything. They, they weren't stopping the run. They weren't stopping the pass. They weren't getting pressure on the quarterback. When you're doing nothing, that that's one thing when you can consistently or at least relatively consistently do something well on defense. And for Carolina, these last couple of weeks, at least it's been stop the run that changes things that in the other parts of the game. And so for the Tar Heels, that'll be important this week and the rest of the year is can they be good at something and then make the plays when it mattered defensively?
And speaking of this week, let's go ahead, look ahead to Saturday night's battle for the Victory Bell against Duke. Eight o'clock kickoff on the ACC Network. We want to have you fill in some fill in the blank statements on this North Carolina team. Are you ready? Sure. All right. I'm First ready. question. Other than the offense, because we already know this offense is high powered, an area this UNC team will excel at on the field Saturday night is? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm going to go with effort and i know that's kind of a lame answer but <laughs> but i think it has been the case for this tariel team and honestly brian i think it's really been the case with duke as well is they're going fast and hard all the time is it right all the time no but there has never been a point this season where you watch carolina play and go what what are you know like that that wasn't real quality effort on that play. Mm -hmm. Again, they might be out of place. They, they, it may not be right, but they are going to, they're going to do it full speed. And so um, I think honestly, last season for Carolina, I'm not saying the effort wasn't good, but I, I just think that there were some times where things got wonky for Carolina. Um, this year it has been, whether it's things are going well, things are going poorly. Um, if you're up by 20 or down by 20, um, the Tarials have gone hard. And and so I think that's something you can expect to see is a team that whether they have a nice lead or if they're in comeback mode, that they're going to be giving it everything they have to try and win the game. Duke fans need to watch out for blank on Saturday. Well, I mean, from this point until it changes, the answer is number 10, Drake May. I mean, he's just, he's really, really good. But I, I'll give you somebody else, um, Cedric Gray, um, defensively for Carolina is really the heartbeat of that defense. He's number 33, uh, one of their linebackers, and he's really the leader on that side of the ball. And his play just continues to be there every single week. And, and consistency is something Carolina's talked about uh, striving for defensively. It hasn't always been there, um, but said Gray has been there. And, and whether that's, you know, he's leading Carolina in tackles, he's top 10 in the nation in tackles, he gets involved in key plays. I mean, he he's the man who knocked out the fumble in the fourth quarter against Miami on a big turnover. He's just around the football. I'll give you another good example, Brian, on Miami's last drive uh, when they were out of timeouts, but they were Carolina was up three, but Miami was starting to creep into field goal range. They completed a pass on the sideline, and Gray wouldn't let the Miami guy get out of bounds. And so then the hurricane started hurrying up, and then it was the very next play because they were hurrying that they threw the interception that ended up being the final play of the game. So said gray, uh, number 33, somebody that Carolina really feels like is a quality player and has uh, been that way from start to finish on that defensive side. UNC will keep the victory bell for a fourth straight year Saturday night. If. Oh gosh, that's a good question. You know, I, I think it comes down to again, and not that Carolina's offense is perfect because it's not, but it has shown up almost every single week. It, it really is a matter of Carolina's defense. And, you know, Riley Leonard runs so well. I, I think that's going to be a big question is can Carolina uh, slow him down in the, in the run game from the QB spot? Um, the Tar Heels just have to show up defensively. They have to be closer to the team on defense that the Tar Heels have seen the last two weeks compared to the previous four. If they can be closer to that defense, Brian, I really do think the Tar Heels have a good chance to win, not just this week, and that's not saying something negative about Duke. I, I just think Carolina's offense has proven that, that it's going to give them a chance to put points on the board every single week. The question is, are they trying to outscore the other team, 
or is it really a, a back and forth uh, team effort with their offense and their defense together? Um, so I'm going to go back to that defensive side and say, if it's closer to the defense we've seen the last few weeks, uh, that gives Carolina a great chance to win every single time it takes the field. On the flip side of it, Duke will take back possession of the victory bell for the first time since 2018, if? A couple different things. One, and this is not breaking news, but turnovers are always a big deal. And I will say Carolina has Carolina has protected the football well, but they do have five of their, uh, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, Brian. I think it's, it's either seven or eight total turnovers that Carolina has. Five of them ha have come on uh, the road in some important spots. They had a big fumble at Appalachian, which I didn't even include in there, so really six. So big fumble at App. They had three turnovers at Georgia State, which kept that game much closer than it should have been. They had two turnovers uh, against Miami that let the Hurricanes back in the game after the Tar Heels had taken a 21-7 lead. So turnovers will always be important, and they were a bigger deal for a care. They have been a bigger deal on the road. Uh, for the Tar Heels thus far this season. Also, I, I think the run game is so important. You know, Duke has really run the football well, and and they're physical, and they, they've done a good job on the ground. Carolina is trying to get there uh, with its run game. It, it's not quite there yet where they, they can just pound you with the, with the run game. They have to kind of pass to set up the run a little bit. So I do think uh, if Carolina can stop the run, that will help it. If they don't, it could be a long day for the Tar Heels. Yeah, turnovers is something that Coach Elko has been preaching. And one thing that we and found out. You get so many turnovers. Yeah, they're <laughs> so good at it. I mean, they've gotten so many. Well, and I didn't realize this heading into the Georgia Tech game, we led the country in fumble recoveries as yeah. a defensive unit. So that was always, it's always good to see a surprising staff for your, your team that's been struggling in the past couple of years. All right, final fill in the blank. We really appreciate you coming on. Bonus question, UNC can get back to the ACC title game for the first time since 2015 if... <laughs> um, you're going to get tired of this answer, but it's <laughs> if the defense can keep getting better. I, I really believe that. Um, you know, the Tar Heels schedule over the last half of the season, they have Duke on the road, which will be difficult. They go to Wake Forest, which is going to be a really tough game. Um, they do have Pitt at home, um, which is a benefit for Carolina. They also have Georgia Tech, who's obviously playing better, um, and they still have NC State uh, as well. And so, um, they have some challenging games in the back half of the season, and they don't want those games to be 58 to 55 every single week. It, it, is Carolina capable of putting up 58 or 55 in this scenario? Yes, um, but it, it's got to be that side of the ball. Um, the, the steps are being taken, um, and, and it's got to continue to be taken for Carolina to go where it wants to go. Toriels can still win three of those six games or something by just putting up so many points. But if they want to get to the championship game, it, it has to be a, a full team effort um, this week and moving forward. Well, it is going to be certainly an exciting game, regardless of the outcome, just with the two teams coming in, as you said, Duke four and two UNC five and one Jones. It's always good catching up with you. Thank you again for coming on to the section 17 podcast. Good luck this Saturday night and the rest of the Tar Heel season. Thanks so much, Brian. Always appreciate the time. And again, our thanks to Jones Angel. Always good to sit down. Jones is very in-depth about the team. And he basically said everything that we were thinking that needs to happen for UNC to get the W in Wallace Wade. The defense has to show up. But before we give our thoughts and comments, we're going to continue a segment that we've done in the last couple of weeks. We're going to answer your questions about the upcoming game. 
as we've done what last two weeks or did we start last week two weeks last week okay and last week so jamie has compiled all the questions from twitter and facebook and we thank each and every one of you for uh sending your questions in so jamie get us started with that first question all right first and foremost go to hill carolina <laughs> you had to, you had, we had to say that before yeah. the episode ended we so. had to we had to say it um but first question comes from sam and he's asked us a few questions the last couple of weeks. He actually always puts out some good questions at LA Dodgers all day. How does Duke try to slow down Drake May and the Carolina offense? That's a that's a really Who good wants question. that one. <laughs> I mean, Jordan, go ahead, Jordan. Go ahead, Jordan. I don't think it'll be Duke's defense. I think what uh, Elko is going to do is go back to the run game and really try and have long. Uh, long drives on the offense side of the ball because the less he's on the field, the better Duke has a chance to win the game. And so I think he knows that. And I think Duke's motto will try and dominate time of possession to get him limited possessions. That's the only way I think Duke can win this game. Yeah, I was just going to say best defense is a good offense, right? And that's exactly what you said. So we got to keep Drake May on the sideline. Uh, He's been unreal this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has been absolutely unreal, and he's just a redshirt freshman, so that's what's scary. Uh, and their offense, Josh Downs, is he scares me. Yeah. Uh, so we got to keep them guys on the sideline. And that's what we kind of talked about last year, too. But I think this year we're way more prepared to make that happen. We've seen some long drives from the Duke offense. I think Scott and I are good. Y'all said everything that needed to be said. Well, really quick, I wanted to throw this out. Drake May for the season, 21 touchdowns, only three interceptions. I believe two of those were last week against Miami. So he technically could have been coming in with 21 and one had he not thrown those bad picks. That's crazy. Yeah, Miami was able to get a little pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, you had to contain him. And, um, you know, last year we talked about Sam Howell and how his arm, he had a big arm, but he's also tough to contain. This kid's a lot better than Sam Howell. Yeah, he's special. All right, next one. Ben from at Duke FB coverage, Bull City coordinators. Hmm. Says, being real, UNC looks better right now. How will Duke overcome all the injuries? Who will have to step up for Duke to get the win? I think we kind of already answered that. We're only going to be missing two key players, right, Scott? Assuming that everything goes the way it's supposed to, we're missing two key defensive players. So that's that's a blessing as far as I'm concerned. I will say the biggest injury that Duke probably has is Anthony Nelson because he was playing really good ball mm-hmm. at a high level. And the, team, and the defensive end position, R.G. Oban was the first defensive end this season to get a sack last week. Every other sack has been from a skill player or – Jamie on Franklin and Dwayne Carter as defensive tackles. So they're going to have to have the next man up. Like Michael Reese has played pretty well, but if he can wreck havoc in the backfield and Vincent Anthony keeps getting those healthy reps as a true freshman, who knows? Maybe they can get and get back there and rough the rough up uh, Drake May. Can I just say this? Can we protest that the remaining teams that we play on artificial turf, can we relocate to a grass field? <laughs> Please. Go, Please. Jordan, was it you that, w- that came up with that stat? Yeah, like Duke's two losses. I said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but then I thought about it, and it's just like Duke got banged up at Kansas. They got banged up at Georgia Tech, and 
we just had awful footing from the trenches to the skill positions to missed tackles. Everything about it just looked like we were slipping around like it was ice. It was weird. Who else do we play with an artificial turf? Kansas. Kansas. No, no, no. I'm saying for the for the rest oh. of the year, Boston College. Maybe Boston College is what I was thinking, but I don't think anybody else off the top of my head. Okay, so breaking news: we will go five and one, or or yeah, five and one to, to end the season. I think everyone would be fine with that. Um, no, I, I think we just need to stick to the game plan. Yeah, because Jones mentioned this. I, I don't think it was in the interview. I think it was after we we, you know, we we ended the interview. But I think the reason why we got out hard and fast on Virginia was because of the bulletin board material that they were talking about, whether it be Coach Elliott or whether it be the players. And I even asked him, I said, so do you think uh, Coach Brown is going to keep his players from really making comments? And he's like, oh, we've got player interviews tomorrow. It's going to be interesting what what is said. But I think if Duke can just execute the game plan and they can just play their game, I, I think injuries aside – we can compete with this UNC team. Don't get me wrong. They have one of the most explosive offenses in the country, but they also have a Swiss cheese defense. Now they've been improving. Don't get me wrong, but they are still a big 12 team. In my opinion, there are still a lot of gaps, a lot of holes. And really, truly, if we get our run game going, that is the one area that they stopped Miami at. I think Miami only had like 41 total yards of rushing, but we've got that three headed monster with Coleman waters and Rogers if any one of them gets going, I think that opens up the pass more, and the passing defense has been their biggest Achilles heel so far this year. TVD threw for almost 500 last week. Speaking of the Carolina defense, our next question from at Blade for Duke. Great segue. Did, <laughs> did UNC stuff Miami's run game, or did the Canes opt to throw it 57 times? I mean, it's – Kind of hard to say, really, because – Anyone want to they, call the coach? <laughs> they definitely did stuff Miami because Miami only averaged 1.8 yards per carry. But I also think that Miami gave up on the run pretty quickly. I mean, it's obvious because TVD threw the ball 57 times, like Scott said, for 496 yards, and which for, is crazy. For those of you casual fans, that's Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback for um, Miami. <laughs> The number, the number two vote getter for player of the preseason player of the year and he uh he completed uh he completed 42 of those passes so i mean it's very high completion percentage too so i do think carolina is susceptible to through the air but also if you look back at the previous game they held they did hold virginia tech to 99 yards rushing so their last two games they've held their opponents under 100 yards rushing miami basically i think they gave up on the run. Virginia Tech, let's be honest, is not good. Uh, but the previous game, <laughs> we're looking at like there's several teams that they gave up 200 plus yards rushing to. So it's kind of is it fool's gold or are they or are they getting it? So I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So in total, like you said, 57 passing attempts, 24 rushing attempts. So that's what 75% of their plays was passing. So, I mean, I think you've got a good point there. The run wasn't working. Passing was obviously the way to go, so they just abandoned the run completely. I just don't see this Duke team abandoning the run with what we've seen so far this year. I don't. I, it doesn't matter who we play. It seems like whatever defense we go up against, our running backs find a way to get through the line 
and to get the yards we need to where we're not facing a long second or third down. All right, next one, at Levi Haynes 10 on Twitter, says, what will Coach Elko do to get our first-half momentum that we've seen in previous games back? Hmm. I mean, it always it always seems like we get out of the gates fast at home, which is great. I just – can you imagine – I'm just going to throw this out there. If they come running out of that tunnel and there is, I'll just say, 35,000 fans and 25 of them are Duke – 25,000 of them are Duke, can you imagine the motivation and the momentum that they would have just at the beginning of the kickoff? I mean – it's, it's like I said the last question. Don't change your game plan. Stick to what you know. Stick to your guns and do what you have to do. Um, if we get the ball first, I think that'll be a victory because we can go through this UNC defense again. And I think we can get out early, uh, up 7 nothing, maybe even 3 nothing. I, I don't know. But, I, I mean, I don't think there's some secret formula each week to where we look at a team and say, all right, if we do this and this and this – then we're going to get out 21 nothing like we did against Virginia, against Temple, against A&T. So, I, I mean, I get the question, but I, I think it's just simply this, play, play your game. Scott? I would say this. In the games where we've jumped up 21 nothing, the script has worked. Mm-hmm. In the games that we've gone down and struggled, the script has not worked. I mean, it's it's not a game plan thing to me. It's just you got to play the game, and you got to get. Sometimes you got to get the breaks. But if we start, if Duke starts successful, then that breeds confidence, and then the, the momentum is there as they go down the field. But the, I think the Kansas game was an anomaly because we started on the one yard line. I, I I don't think there's any script that says okay, if we start at the one, we're going to do plays this this this. You know. Yeah. Because I think Coach even said it. That was that was the anomaly, and then they got going the second series. That's the asterisk. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is. I mean, so Georgia Tech was just That's different. what we're talking about in 2022 now. Right. Right. Asterisk. right. Let's be honest. Josh jinxed Kevin Johns when he gave Kevin Johns his helmet stick. <laughs> That's right. Man, throwing shade at Josh, and he can't defend himself. I love it. <laughs> now, and, and what happened with Georgia Tech? I, I just think it was a combination of things. I don't want to go back to it, but, you know, we're talking about – playbooks and game plans not going the way that we wanted to. I just think we came out of the gates kind of slow. The first three quarters, we just were slow. We were trying to identify ourselves. And then the fourth quarter, when Samir ran that ball back, it was kind of like the light bulb went off in our heads. Like, oh, okay, we can contest with this team. Yeah, they might have been terrible when they started the season, but they just defeated 24th-ranked Pitt at the time. So it's just, yeah, I think it's just, having that momentum, having the confidence, regardless of who's on the field, to, to get out early and get out fast like we've done at home. All right, we got a just a couple of questions from Facebook, and then we can move on. Okay. Levi Haynes asked, what can Duke take from this loss to build on going into the Chapel Hill College game? Shout out to Scott there with his Chapel yeah, Hill like College that. reference. Who wants that one? Go ahead, Jordan. Jump in. I was just going to say uh, experience. Like, that was – I know Ryan Leonard had an ACC start on the road at Virginia Tech last year, but that doesn't count when it comes to new staff and new environment and everything. A lot of young guys getting healthy reps. 
on an ACC road game. Like that was a that was a big environment. And then you look at the Kansas game; that was a sellout with a new coaching staffs getting that experience, new players and new positions getting new experience. Like every everything about that environment is a healthy thing for Duke to learn from, from a coaching staff play calling and for players executing. I mean, that was the first game Riley looked off and that also had to deal with the line of scrimmage guys were in his face to where the one turnover Duke had was costly where he overthrew Jordan Moore about three or four throws before that had a walk-in touchdown. And then he threw a pick that drive, but he battled back. He learned from his mistake and Duke forced overtime. I think that this is going to just show Duke's resiliency throughout the year. And UNC has had 11 sacks so far this season, so they know how to get the quarterback. I'm just wondering who's going to win that battle between our offensive line, which is very tenured, and their defensive line. And one of the things that Coach Elko mentioned, talking about that interception, was it was in a situation just kind of like the A&T thing, where Riley thought the rod receiver was going to keep going. The receiver thought he was going to stop right there and be ready for it. Riley anticipated and made a throw. And, you know, it's a 50-50 there, there on that situation. Yeah. All right, Jamie, you got what, one more question? Yeah, and this still Levi Haynes here on Facebook. He says, will the students or slash crowd storm the field if we win the victory build back? And I say, absolutely. That the field is getting stormed and maybe even the goalpost might come down. Mm. Mm, I don't, I don't know if Duke's now. ready to pay that fine. <laughs> I will start it. You just let me know where I need to be. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like a stone cold Steve Austin here. Oh, hell yeah. Um, yep. yeah. No, I agree. We did it in 2012. Heck, I was a part of it. I ran on the field back in my younger days, uh, helped ring the bell. Absolutely. I mean, it's been three years since we've had the bell. It's time for it to come home. I mean, this is something that's been long overdue, especially if we beat a UNC team that's 5-1 and one atop the ACC standings, which, by the way, if you haven't kept up with the ACC Coastal Division, Coastal Calamity is at its finest in the final year of divisional play. Even with that loss to a lowly Georgia Tech team, Duke still has a chance to win the Coastal title, especially if we win Saturday night against the Tar Holes. But, yeah. If if you're coming to the game, have your running shoes on, be ready. We win the game. We expect to see you on the field because I know I'm going to be on there, down there if we win. I'm sure the rest of us will as well. Jordan? And I was going to say, too, it's an 8 p.m. kickoff and college kids where Wallace Wade now sells alcohol, there's going to be some storming of the field. <laughs> <laughs> and to well, be honest, we'll I was going to say, um, they were talking about this was kind of idle chatter before everything started. It's the kids that still haven't got the jerseys yet. Some of the jerseys are still coming in for the the other groups. And Elko is trying to get a push. He wants as many students there as they can so we can push them over into the GA section. And, you know, obviously more students, more noise, great opportunity. I will say uh, if you see me on the field, usually it's because I've tripped, fallen down the steps, <laughs> and I've rolled onto Wallace Wade's field down there on the Brooks field. Uh, but if we were to beat Carolina, yeah, we're, we're going on the field. So They're going to have to stop the celebration yeah. to get the ambulance ready for Jamie. <laughs> going, down, going down the elevator, Jamie. That's where we're going. Well, it, it, again, this is, uh, this is probably our most uh, fun week. We always like to have fun with our uh, peers eight miles down the road. 
on 15501. But thank you for your questions, everyone. We look forward to doing this each and every week, and we will do it next week as the Devils will prepare for the Miami Hurricanes. But now it is time for our newest segment, as Josh would say, the not-yet-sponsored segment in which we call This Week in Duke Football History. Scott, what do you have for us tonight? Or This Week in Duke Football History is one of the most infamous things that has ever happened. And in fact, one of the players that played reminded us that this happened 10 years ago today at the press conference, Mr. Dave Harding. October the 20th, 2012, the catch. Jamison Crowder would grab the go-ahead touchdown from Sean Renford with 13 seconds left in the battle of the victory bell to beat UNC Tar Holes, I mean Chapel Hill College, I mean UNC, 33-30. The win was the first time since 2003 Duke had beaten Chapel Hill College, and it would be the first season since 1994 where Duke won at least six games in the season. They would also play in their first bowl game in 94 against the Cincinnati Bearcats in the Belt Bowl and where they born Travis Kelsey. And that was this week in Duke football history. Now, I was at the game. Scott, Jamie, were you at the game too? I was not at that Catch. one. I watched it on TV. Well, I was there with um, Senior, uh, the guy that doesn't believe in our podcast. Okay. Jordan, what about you? you I, was, I was not there. I know if I would have been there, I might have had a cardiac arrest. Yeah, that was it wasn't even the catch that would give me cardiac arrest. It's been Ross Cockrell diving on a fumble that he did not somehow secure, and Giovanni Bernard picked it up and scored a touchdown. Yeah, I'll never mm-hmm. forget. My dad is not one of the most optimistic people, and he was there at the game with me. And basically, my whole family came. I don't know how in the world we did that. My wife is a UNC fan. She was there with us, and after Gio scored, all the UNC fans were going crazy. I just saw my dad shaking his head, and I said, "What?" He goes, "Too much time." Too much time. I said, this is Duke football. He goes, too much time. You watch. And I'll be damned if he wasn't right as we march down the field and we score that touchdown. My wife didn't want to stay for the celebration. I remember running down there with a friend of mine who came as well. We rang the bell. We had fun. About 10 minutes later, I start walking up the steps, and I just see the face of, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) But, what I mean, perfect this week in Duke football history for Rivalry Week. Well, we're going to head into Tell of the Tape in just a second. I always like doing this for you all. But before we do that, let's hear from our sponsor, Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Hey guys, Brian here with the Section 17 Podcast. Quick question for you. What do Duke, North Carolina Central, and the Durham Public School Systems have in common? Well, they all have their heating and air service work done by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Comfort Mechanical Contractors offers full-service commercial HVAC organization, as well as install work for new construction and commercial renovation. With their full fleet of service vehicles at the ready, Comfort Mechanical Contractors is equipped to handle service calls, as well as install building automation and control systems. For more information, give Comfort Mechanical Contractors a call at 919-383-2502. That number again, 919-383-2502. Comfort Mechanical Contractors, the premier commercial heating and air service contractor of the Triangle. And again, our thanks to Comfort Mechanical Contractors for sponsoring us this season and sponsoring the Tell of the Tape. And this week, it is the North Carolina Tar Heels. Last year, UNC went 6-7 and seven and went to the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte, where they lost to the Gamecocks of South Carolina 
38 to 21. God, you just hate to hear that. Now heading into this week, UNC sits at five and one after the Tar Heels defeated Miami down in Coral Gables 27 to 24. Head coach Mac Brown's in his 14th season of coaching UNC and has an overall coaching record of 270, 140, and one. He also has one national title with the Texas Longhorns. Now overall, this is the 108th meeting between Duke and UNC, with UNC unfortunately leading the series matchup on Duke 62-41, to and there are also four ties in the overall series. Now the first ever matchup between Duke and UNC was all the way back in 1888 on Thanksgiving Day. What well, Man, what is it? That's the second week in a row where games have been played on Thanksgiving Day. But anyway, played 1888 on Thanksgiving Day at the North Carolina Fairgrounds in Raleigh where Duke, then Trinity College, defeated the Tar Heels 16 to nothing. Now the two schools would play four more times between 1889 and 1894 before the season or the series would go dormant in 1895 after Duke's then president, John Kilgo, banned football on campus because it was, quote, too dangerous. After a 27 year hiatus, the rivalry would start back up in 1922. And since then, Duke and UNC have played each other every year. And last year, UNC defeated the Blue Devils 38 to seven. And as we stated earlier, they're currently on a three game winning streak in the series. And now it's time or the did you know. Duke and UNC have been battling for the Victory Bell for close to 75 years. The inspiration for the bell came back in 1948 after the head male cheerleaders for each school, Norman Spear for UNC and Loring Jones for Duke, agreed that the team should be battling for something tangible. Spear and Jones wanted a trophy that would be a symbolic way to foster more friendly relations between the two schools. Inspired by other rivalry trophies at the time, Loring and Jones came up with the idea of a victory bell. The bell was founded by Jones and taken off an old Southern Railway train, and Spears had his engineering drawing professor come up with the base design to hold the bell. The bell would make its debut on November 20th, 1948 at Keenan Stadium, where then five, or number five ranked UNC would defeat Duke 20 to nothing and take first possession of the bell. Since that day, UNC has won the bell 48 of the 74 times the two teams have played. A newer tradition for the Victory Bell started in 2004 after UNC spray painted the bell's base when they de defeated Duke and took back possession of the bell. Tongue twister there. Since this event, if a team takes back possession of the bell, they spray paint their colors on the base until the two teams meet the next season. And that was the tale of the tape for the North Carolina Tar Heels brought to you by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. And guys, it's funny, when I was doing my research, I didn't put this in here. Do you remember back, I think it was 2014, where the two athletic directors split the base in half and had Duke's colors on one side and UNC's colors on the other? Do y'all remember angry. that atrocity? I do remember that. that I hate terrible. that. Yeah. I want disrespectfulness. I want spray paint at opposing fields already in the bushes. Spray it. Get Duke over Keenan. So I read that fans, alumni, and the players of both schools balked at the idea. And one of the players for UNC, this is back when Twitter was in its infancy, tweeted a photo of a can of spray paint and tweet, uh, tweeted Bubba Cunningham, the AD at UNC, and said, if we win, this is going on the base. And Bubba just conceded. So <laughs> what a horrible idea. People were saying that's like now a participation ribbon, that like the meaning to get the belt. I mean – 
that just shows you how much these players are invested in winning the bell. And I can tell you right now, we want this bell back. We mentioned it in the preseason episode with the hard hat guys. If we win this damn bell, you better show it every game that's left, which would only be two home games, but still you have to show it with pride. The old regime, we'd win the bell. You wouldn't see it until the UNC game. Every game, they need to be rolling it out, cheerleaders in tow, players in tow, coach in tow, and, and just brag about it. I mean, that, that's something to brag about for the entire season. But I digress. I could I could go on a wild tangent with that. But now is the fun part. We're going to get into our game and jersey predictions. And before we get into ours, guys, we had a first happen on this episode with the predictions. Anyone want to guess what happened? With our predictions this week? Buddy got it right. <laughs> Jamie with the win. I, I mean, kudos to you, Duke fans. Every single person on Twitter and Facebook predicted Duke would beat Georgia Tech. And while we love that, no one wins a shirt. You've got to predict the winner. And if we have multiple people predict the winner, then we go off the score. So since no one predicted Georgia Tech to beat Duke, no one gets a shirt this week. But guess what? There's a new week ahead. We will post you... Uh, on uh, Wednesday for you to give your predictions both on Twitter and Facebook. So with that being said, let's have some fun, guys. Let's get into our game in Jersey predictions. And even though he is on vacation, our own Josh Cox took time away from his family, took time away from Mickey Mouse to call in or to record in and give his prediction. So here's Josh giving not only his game prediction, but his Jersey prediction as well. All right, guys, I'm currently in Animal Kingdom. If every time we touch is playing in the background right now, I'm changing all the passwords to all the social media and locking you guys out. But my official prediction for the game Saturday, um, uniform-wise, most importantly, we're going to go blue out, all blue, top to bottom, lids, jerseys, pants, all blue, with the Hellraiser. Um, we're going to debut the Hellraiser, but we're going all blues because it's about the blues. I don't care what Brian says. Uh, so we're doing that, and then score. Um, unfortunately, uh, Carolina's defense has picked itself up in the last two weeks. Duke has taken the last two weeks and really struggled. Um, I'm sorry, two out of the last three weeks have really struggled. And so I am going to say that UNC wins this one, and I'm going with a score of 47 to 34. 47 to 34 Tar Heels, unfortunately. Jordan, thanks for being with us tonight, man. And our thanks to Josh as he is miles and miles away down in Florida, in Orlando, having fun with the big rat, as I always tease him about. But he went all blue, guys. He went the blue out with the white Hellraiser. Can't fault him for that. But Jordan, since you are our guest, we'll have you go next. What are your thoughts first or whatever you want to do? You want to give the score prediction first or the jersey prediction? It's yours. Take it away. I'll go jersey prediction first. Okay. I think that Duke hinted at black with the Georgia Tech game. I don't think that was on accident. I think this is going to be a primetime, 8 o'clock kickoff. Black only looks good at nighttime. I think they're going to go all black. It's going to be the same Iron D. I would like to see like the Hellraiser or the script come off sometime soon because we've already went through the D, but I think it's going to be the Iron D all black uniforms. And I think Duke is going to win 38-34. Okay. And before we get into Jamie and Scott, we forgot to mention uh, the line opened at seven, went all the way down to five and a half. 
Fellas, it's back up to seven now. I don't think Vegas even knows who's going to come out victorious on this one, which we love. And the over-under 67 points, I think they're expecting a shootout. Yep, Jamie, Scott, who wants to go next? Go ahead, Scott. All right. Well, um, I hate to be a copycat, but I think I'm going to copy Josh as far as the uniform because I do believe blue, blue, blue to match up with that nasty, detestable, ugly powder blue. At least I'm not wearing it. And, and they'll probably find a way to put Argyle on it so it'll look even crappier. But there'll <laughs> uh, be enough of those people in the stands anyway. Um, but hey, just for if any of y'all listening, you don't sit in section 17. You sit in section 15 over there. 17's for the, all the Duke fans, okay? Just so everybody's listening. You're from Chapel Hill College. Since you don't know how to spell the word Duke, it's D-U-K-E which is what you lost the Duke's mayonnaise bowl last year to the Gamecocks. That's how you spell Duke. So just so everybody understands that. We can give you a course and you get a credit for that if you'd like. That being said, for the score, and, you know, obviously any any other week, I would probably go back to my prediction for the previous, what I said to start the season. But there is no way under God's green earth that I can pick a stupid realm for anything. There's no way I could possibly give that sorry team from eight miles away an opportunity to come to our house and win. There is no way that I can sit here and possibly give any kudos at this point in time to Chapel Hill College. So that being said, I'm going to go 35-31. We're going to be two, one under. One under. 35-31 Blue Devils over at Chapel Hill College. Ding dong, ding dong. The witch is dead. All right. I guess I'll go next. I'll let Jamie have the honors of uh, closing us out on predictions. So, guys, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I tried to cheat. This is the one week where I could not wait until Thursday. And I tried my best. I reached out to my contacts. I reached out to folks inside the program. Tried to get an inside scoop. What are we wearing? But like the good employees they are, no one budged. No one said a thing. And kudos to them because I probably would have been the same way. I will say this. I was told that they know what jerseys they're wearing and that they, quote, have us covered. Now, what that means, who knows? I said this when I talked with Nina. I'm hoping Nina took it to heart and relayed it to the football team. Jordan even mentioned it earlier. It's prime time, 8 o'clock, ACC Network. We're going blackouts. And I think they're going to find a way to put that Hellraiser on that helmet. And if they do that, oh, you're going to hear a little schoolgirl screaming in Section 17, and his name's going to be Brian Kennedy. So I think they're going to they're gonna do the blackout. But if they do the D, fine, so be it. If they find a way to do the script, so be it. I just want a blackout. We haven't seen a, a true blackout since I believe 2020, I said Halloween night against Charlotte. So blackout, any combination would be fine. I'm really hoping and praying that they do the Hellraiser. As far as the game, I actually predicted Duke to beat Carolina in our predictions episode. I'm not wavering away from that. This past defense of UNC is atrocious. Jones even said that they're improving, but I don't think they've improved enough to where they can contain us. I think our running backs are going to find a way to break through the line. They're going to open up the passing game even more. I think Coach Elko has a chip on his back. 
after that loss. I think Coach Elko is going to debut a new hoodie. We didn't even talk about that, but I think the gray hoodie is getting retired now. I think it's going to be close, kind of like what Scott was saying. I think it's going to be a shootout because UNC is a Big 12 team. They need to go to the Big 12, just my thoughts. I'm going to say Duke's going to win it, and they're going to win it 42 to hmm, 42 to 35. They're going to win by a touchdown. It is going to be seven points, but it's going to be Duke winning by seven points. Scott? I was going to say, you know, talking about the 8 p.m. start, the ACC obviously thinks this is a huge deal also because they have their number one crew coming, Mr. West Durham and Mr. Roddy Jones. So that tells you all you need to know about, other than the fact that it's Duke and Carolina night. It's a big deal. All right. Jamie, you're all that's left. What are your thoughts, my man? My thoughts are blue. I'm going to blue out as far as the jerseys. Okay. Um, but I'm going to go with a white B on the helmet, just to change it up from Scott and Josh. Uh I don't, I don't know that we'll see the Hellraiser this year. We, we will see. I mean, I hope we do. But I'm just going to go with the white D. <clears throat> as far as I'm getting all choked up here thinking about my score. Don't cry. As as my score, I'm going Duke 72, UNC nothing. Go to Hill, Carolina, go to Hill. <laughs> I love it. And just for all you fans, I, I have to throw this out here, being the jerseys are. The last time we did a true Duke blue out with the script week 10 last year and with the white D hold please. It's been a while. I mean, week six of the 2019 season. So that tells you how long it's been. And for, for preface, they did the black D throughout the 2020 season. It doesn't count. I'm sorry. The black D is a completely different uniform combo. But it's been a great episode, especially with it being Rivalry Week. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. Before we get off, got to do a shameless plug. Tell us a little bit about your podcast that you do each and every week. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be on with you guys. Uh, it's called the Big J and Little J Show. My co-host, Connor O'Neill, is the publisher for Devil's Illustrated on Rivals. He also is Deacons Illustrated for Wake. And uh, me and him go back about 10 years now. And... I just hit him up one time and I really like his writing and I wanted his writing to turn into audio. And so basically we do our previews with what he's already written and he's been with you guys on the behind the scenes stuff and even the uh, interviews and stuff. And it's been awesome. Uh, it, I'm, it's an honor, like I said, to be on here and I'm looking forward to both of us continue to cover Duke football. And we'll talk about the dirty laundry he airs to you after we stop this recording. <laughs> Oh, there is plenty. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, a few more housekeeping items before we close up shop. As we tweeted and put on our Facebook group, if you are still looking for tickets, please, please, please do not go on the secondary market sites quite yet because you're going to be paying an arm and a leg. Call into the Duke ticket office. I do not have the number in front of me, fellas, if one of you has it. Scott, do you have that number? No, no I was going to say okay. tickets. Um, but look on Twitter, look on Facebook, that number will be on there. Secondly, if you like what you've heard tonight, this is your first time, why don't you go ahead and give us a five-star review? We'd really appreciate it. It shows how much uh, you like the content that we're bringing to you. And if you don't think it's five-star worthy, then don't leave us a review. It's fine. We understand completely. Scott, you got that number now? Yes. 919-668-9235. And as of 
12, 2 o'clock this afternoon. They were saying there were less than 1,000 tickets available. Folks, you need to get them now. Carolina fans are going to start calling that number soon because I've had some reach out to me and ask me what was the best way to get tickets today. I told them to wait till Thursday. <laughs> uh, Jamie, what were those two numbers that we gave for UNC fans to call? One was 8675309. What was <laughs> The other one was the time and temperature number, for, uh, <laughs> the old time and temperature number for Durham. And, and don't worry, we did call just to make sure no one had that number assigned to them because that would have been brutal for them. UNC fans calling. Somebody responded on Twitter to the eight six seven five three zero nine, which I thought was funny. And they said, "What if Jenny changed her number?" Yeah, that was actually so, my buddy Andrew that watched the game with me. He's the Georgia Tech grad. Yeah, and and by was... the way, yeah, by the way, shout out to my buddy Andrew. He predicted the score on the head and even predicted Georgia Tech to win. Before even kickoff, he said 23-20, Georgia Tech's going to win. I said, crazy. The man's Nostradamus. I, Jordan, I think me and you might need to go to him for betting advice. <laughs> no kidding. Seriously, he should have tweeted that. He could have got a shirt. That's I right. did have the under, at least. I did have the under. Just didn't have Duke. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, I don't know if Andrew would be wearing a bleed blue because not only is a Georgia Tech fan, he's a UNC fan on the side. Mm. Well, yeah, me, me and him have been to some of the games and we could have a whole nother episode dedicated to memorable Duke UNC games but you know like I said it's been a fun episode guys and Jordan again we appreciate you coming on and filling in for Josh in his absence as he uh, takes a little bit of much needed time off to get ready but as we said 8 o'clock ACC Network we will be tailgating with the hard hat guys in the B5 lot if you're coming to the game come on by and see us and if you need a shirt, we'll have those readily available. But for Jamie Holt, Scott Medlin, producer Justin Sykes, Jordan Mann, and the absent Josh Cox, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast. Now turn the music up!